Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. We're going to be talking about how early is too early to plant. Now, in some parts of the country, planting's already going on. So in your area, uh, you've already made that choice. But further north, there's a lot of debate about this. Well, it's not much to debate when you've got snow on the ground. You know you're not going to be able to get out in the field just yet. The ground's frozen. But but you don't have to go too far from where we're at. I, I was just about an hour south of our farm today. There's hardly any snow. And then you get just across that border into Nebraska. And wow, uh, it looks like it could go really anytime you would want to. Now, the crop insurance date's a ways off yet. So in all likelihood, guys are going to wait another month before they get started or even a little more than that. But still, uh, the, the question is there. It looks good. And if the weather forecast was good and you said, man, it looks like looks like this could be it for winter. It could really be spring now or even summer soon. How early is too early? So we're going to talk about some of the things that go into that decision and, and some things to consider if you are going to plant early. We're also going to be taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. And of course, you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. In fact, let's dive into some of those emails right now in the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, first one comes from Paul out in Colorado and... Uh, Paul wanted to talk about the saturated paste test. Uh, so Paul writes, what are your thoughts on the accuracy and reliability of the saturated paste test method? I've heard it's going to become more commonplace and maybe more accurate in terms of determining the micronutrients P and K in your soil. Just wondering if this is something that we should be using. Well, Paul, thanks for the question. Uh, we, we have done a little bit of work with the saturated paste test on our farm and looking specifically for us at some soils that had high calcium levels, high magnesium levels, trying some different treatments to make nutrients come more available. And that was one of the methods that we used is looked at, looking at that saturated paste test. You know, it, it's something that's new. And with anything that's new, you, you just have to do some more testing. And so what we like to do on, on new soil tests is compare them to our old soil tests and then compare them to what our yields are and see, okay, if I followed this test and put on nutrients accordingly, how did my yields turn out? Which one really seemed to correlate? Because uh, the last thing you want is a soil test that's going to tell you, yep, put on a whole bunch of phosphorus, and then wherever you put the phosphorus on, your yields either didn't do anything or they went down. So we want tests when they say, yep, you need phosphorus to uh, to give you a good return on investment when you do use the phosphorus or whatever nutrient it may be. Uh, I, I would say this, the jury's still out on the saturated paste test, Paul, at least in our opinion, uh, which is what you asked for. So I would recommend just taking the current test that you take, but also take saturated paste tests on a few spots, do some comparisons, uh, and then compare that to performance out in the field and see. It takes a little bit of work to be on the front side of this, but uh, being on the leading edge, that's that's kind of what comes with it. So uh, I'd look at it a little harder. We've looked at it a little bit. It is interesting to see uh, just some different numbers. Uh, so far, we're pretty happy with the current test that we're doing, uh, so we have not incorporated saturated paste testing on our farm yet. Uh, thanks, Paul. Uh, and, yeah, keep us up to speed. Let us know. If you find something that works better, uh, we're, we're all ears. We, we are always into what can we do to get better on the farm. 
All right, uh, get a soil, a couple of soil tests here that came in. This is from Jeff up in Ontario. And Jeff said, guys, got, got a number of things going on here with fertility. And you guys look at it differently than people do in our area, other than one agronomist that we've got that likes base saturations like you guys do. He said, we've got high magnesium levels in some of these soils and just looking at trying to get things back in balance. My current agronomist wants us to add a lot of potash, add some more phosphate and not exactly sure on what else besides some gypsum and some sulfur. Okay. Uh, it's, and it's kind of a long email here, so I'm not going to read it all, but uh, just looking at your soil test, Jeff. Um, yeah, I agree with you on the potassium. I for sure would be doing this. So base saturations, are down in the one and a half to uh, there's some up in the two and a half range, but mostly in the upper ones. So yeah, for me, potassium is going to be a big one, uh, especially if, well, it'll be big on corn, but it'll be really, really big on beans for you, I, I suspect. Okay. We've got CECs that are kind of in the mid teens to, to up into the uh, low twenties. So we've got some medium soils. And we can hold quite a bit of stuff. So, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of potassium to build things up. No doubt about that. So I, I'm all on board with, with that. Um, I'm also on board if you wanted to put more phosphorus on. We've got phosphorus, Bray P1s in the, well, they're, they're all over the board. There's a lot of variability here. So I'm not sure how big these sample sizes are. But there's some that are as low as 14 and some that are over 100. But kind of on average, I'd say around 40 or 50. And that's something you definitely could increase and and check that out, see if that gives you a good return on investment. Uh, as far as the calcium goes, uh, I agree. There are some soil tests there that are low on calcium, and I'd like to build that up into the mid-60s, maybe even the low 70s, to try to overcome some of that magnesium that you've got. Uh, you'd probably be putting on lime where you've got a pH that's down in the fives, but to do that, I'd have to know these are small grids. So I, I think you said there's this is one field and you've got a number of different fields out there. But I would take as small a grids as you're willing to do for lime because we don't want to put lime where we don't need it. Then uh, the other things I'd say, you asked about aluminum. I'm not too worried about that because your pHs are high enough. That shouldn't be an issue. Uh, and the last thing is just... I'd recommend pulling complete tests that have all the micros in there because I'm guessing we're going to need some micros. And I know you'd asked about another secondary nutrient, sulfur, but you don't even have a test here for sulfur. So I would not recommend putting any on if I don't know how much is already out there. So I'd run complete tests. And, and yeah, I'm with you on building up P and K levels. I think long term, that's going to be a good thing. And also short term, it should also show some response this year. Hey, thanks, Jeff. We really appreciate the question. We're going to continue our discussion today with how early is too early to plant. Stay tuned. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. 
When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, safely inside, where it's nice and warm outside. Not quite so warm yet, but it won't be too long. And Brian's going to be bugging everybody in our farm. We got to go. We got to plant. He wants to get out there early, as always. As you can imagine, if you listen to the show more than once, you know, Brian's a little on the impatient side. Actually, that's probably being pretty generous. I, I'm looking through the glass and seeing my sister just laughing about that. She's like, um, yeah, just a little impatient. Uh, so maybe maybe you're that person on your farm that's really impatient, just wants to get a jump on things. So our topic today is going to be right up your alley. How early is too early to plant? Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll take your calls and questions, too, at 844 844- 44 ag phd let's head down to kansas got katie strathman with us right now with BASF. how you doing katie doing well how are you doing today you know pretty good i'm kind of glad that it's still cold out there then i don't have to deal with my brother wanting to get out in the field a little too early uh, that helps slow him down a little bit how about down in kansas what's it like down there well it's probably a little warmer here but not quite time to start planning just yet still a little bit chilly we've got some cold weather in the forecast for the end of the week and this weekend still yeah we got some more snow coming this week so just just not exactly what we need we're we're number two all time right now for the most snow in a winter in in our area so we're gonna make a run at number one but that isn't one of those records you want to win okay moisture is moisture out in kansas (laughs) we don't we don't shake our head at moisture we think Thanks to the lucky stars that it came. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. I'm, I'm with you on that. And if it melts and, and soaks in nice and slow, that's that's okay for us too. Okay, so if you're in a situation where it is dry, and, and oftentimes Kansas can, can be on the dry side, uh, how early is too early? What do you use for determining factors there? And then if you are working with somebody like my brother, for example, that's super excited to get out there early, uh, talk to us a little bit about some of your tips if if we do get out there on the early side. Absolutely. Well, there is yield potential to be gained by planting a little earlier, but it is a risk versus reward scenario. So personally, I like 
to do a little forecasting on my own. I like to look at the weather and I like to, I have a nice little spreadsheet that you can type the forecasted temperatures in and kind of see where my growing degree units add up and how long it'll take my crop to emerge. Because corn seed is a big investment. Putting that in the ground and having it sit for a long time can really eat at the potential for that even emergence that we always want, right? We want a picket fence stand with corn. And so we want to take our time to do those calculations. And I, I talked with someone last year who was looking at the forecast and they had one really nice warm day to plant and they looked at, you know, the next 10, 20 day expected temperatures and it looked like it was going to be 20 days before that corn accumulated even half of the GDUs that it needed to emerge, right? So typically you can use 115 or 120 growing degree units as an estimate of the heat units you need to accumulate between planting and that emergence of that corn crop. So with corn, I'm a little more concerned about that even emergence than I am with soybeans. Soybeans, typically we think warmer temperatures in the soil, but through some of the work that I was a part of with BASF when I worked at our research farm in Illinois, I've seen soybeans sit in the ground with a good solid seed treatment package on them, and even after being in the ground for maybe even 30 days, still come out with really great yield potential. So thinking about soybeans, if you do want to start planting early, then you got to start thinking about your varieties, right? If you're going to go what is earlier than traditional, you want to pick what is a longer season variety than is traditional for your area, and you want to pair that with a well-rounded seed treatment, right? You want to have fungicide active ingredients in there, insecticide active ingredients in there, and then possibly even add an inoculant if you really want to try and push yield. Yeah, lots of things that, that can be done there. And, you know, you talk about the hybrid or variety, and there's some that are definitely known for better emergence and early vigor, and there's others that really aren't. <laughs> and that, that would not be the one that you want to plant early if you already have a variety that is known to be pretty slow and not the strongest starter. But then you talk about that seed treatment piece, and it does kind of even the playing field to some degree by giving it some additional help. And with the seed treatment, one thing that I like, when you're putting a, a bean out there early or a corn plant or a wheat plant, you know there's that much more time for disease to become a problem. And I remember growing up, we'd, we'd see maybe one mode of action in a seed treatment fungicide. Now we're talking about three or even four and some really powerful modes of action too. Uh, that's what I like about these seed treatments, Katie, that they've gotten so much better at, at fighting disease and fighting insects than the ones we used to have. Absolutely. And, and we're really fortunate at BISF to have a wide variety of seed treatments. But more recently, we brought Obvious Plus as a seed treatment to our soybean acre. And it actually does have four different active ingredients. It's got Zemium F500, which if you follow BISF, you know that is our plant health driving active. It helps provide plant health benefits as well as improve seedling vigor. And then it's also paired with metal axle at maybe a higher rate than we see in some other seed treatments that have that component. So we get a little additional longevity and disease control out of that component. And then thiophanate methyl as well. So really from Obvious Plus, you get protection from things like Pythium, Phytophthora, Fusarium, and Rhizoctonia, depending on you know what conditions you're planting and what issues you might be facing in your field. You, know, you mentioned metal axle, and that one has been out for a long, long time. And I, I hear growers saying, well, metal axle is just not working the way that it used to. And I don't doubt that that there's some tolerance building or and, and maybe some 
uh, strains. It's not getting quite as well as it used to. But I think you hit on something there that most growers don't understand, that a lot of different seed companies and, and different seed treatment packages will play with the rates of some of these products. You mentioned Obvious Plus that, hey, we've got a high rate of metalaxyl in there, and it actually works, and it actually helps. We're seeing other seed treatments going the opposite way. What's the lowest possible rate that we can put on? And I think that might be leading to some of these problems we're seeing. Absolutely. Whenever we're given the opportunity to run a full rate or a higher rate, it's definitely a good thing from a stewardship perspective in my mind because we don't want to lower the bar for whatever pest or pathogen it is to try and overcome the selection pressure that we've put on them. And that's something that, you know, Maybe not so much in Kansas. We certainly do face it here, but I am a Northwest Iowa native, and when I think of pathogens and pests that have overcome what we've thrown at them, I think of soybean cyst nematode, right? And how we have so many different traits out there for tolerance or for for protection against those nematodes, and some of those are starting to wane. And that's when I think about maybe it's a, a time to add a levo to that acre as well, because. With Alevo, not only do you get protection from SDS, but you can also get protection against some of those nematodes, the soybean cyst nematode being one of the primary ones that we think of on the soybean acre. I'm glad you mentioned that because if you are in an area where sudden death syndrome can be an issue for you in soybeans, planting early is going to increase your chances of having sudden death syndrome. So certainly using something like Alevo is going to be, uh, it's going to be your best chance for a really good return on investment there. Uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, and I don't know how much you get to work with, with brilflanolide or Taraxa or uh, uh, soon to be a, a nice rootworm product that could be used on corn too. Uh, you got a new active ingredient there on the insecticide and I, I really like it. It's been fantastic on wireworms from what I've seen uh, significantly different than what we've seen out of the neonics. Absolutely. So we don't deal a whole lot with Taraxa in Kansas just because we're primarily winter wheat down here. So wireworms are heading down into the soil when we're putting the wheat crop in the ground and it's so vulnerable. But I do know that my colleagues that have spring wheat and have used Taraxa have seen outstanding results. That is a highly effective active ingredient that really does a number on wireworms. And some of the aerial footage um, some of the drone imagery that they have of plots that were treated with broflanolid or taraxa year in and year out are incredible. I would encourage anybody who wants to learn more about that to talk to their local BASF representative or even hop on our website and just see some of those really cool resources and field takeaways that we have with that product. Well, Katie, this has been great. We really appreciate having you on. I'm glad that people aren't quite yet out in the field planting in Kansas, but I know it won't be too long. We'll be discussing this again. How early is too early and what do you have to do to be successful? Thanks for giving us some great tips. Thanks for having me. We're, we're talking about this early planting topic, and you mentioned seed treatment there, and it is something that I would strongly recommend. Don't just use what you used last year. I, I would definitely talk to the suppliers and see, okay, what are my choices out there? What are the new things that are coming out? And oftentimes these new things don't really cost all that much more than what you're already using. And if you could gain something like a new mode of action insecticide or a fourth mode of action fungicide, it could be well worth it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. 
For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. Mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Last year's fertilizer cost too much. This year's fertilizer still costs too much. So maybe next year, ahem, maybe next year, instead of paying whatever the market dictates, you should find a new source. Source from Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the crop nutrients that are already in your soil so you can use less fertilizer and capture the yield you count on to turn a profit. I said to turn a profit. That's more like it. Learn more at sound.ag. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We are talking about how early is too early to plant. It's a big topic, and I know it's certainly changed during my lifetime on our farm. We've moved our date up a little bit. We're planting earlier than we ever were, and our previous guest here, Katie Stratman, said some of that's due to the tools that we've got to use, including some great seed treatments, and she's absolutely right about that. There are certainly some tools that we've got that, that have helped us be more successful with early planting. But there's always a limit, so we want to talk about how early is too early to plant. We've got Mark Licht on right now with us with Iowa State University. Mark, how are you doing? Pretty good today. How about yourself? 
You know, not too bad. My dad moved from north central Iowa after he married my mom, moved to South Dakota, and he said, man, guys in Iowa were planting a little bit earlier than we were over here. And he kind of brought that mentality here and uh, got some of the other locals here excited about it. Here's here's what he would do, Mark. He would get the planter out probably at least a good week before he really intended to plant, and he'd just drive it around the country just a little bit and get everybody excited. Oh, no, Hefty's out there planting already. And that would generate phone calls. What what are you doing? What are you thinking? And can we really be out there this early? And he just enjoyed that. It made it fun for him. And uh, I, I don't know. What do you think, Mark? How early is too early on corn and on soybeans and some of these crops raised in Iowa? Yeah. So, I, you know, generally I would say that uh, if we go by the uh, RMA's uh, replant insurance date, that's going to be pretty close. And I know They've just kind of moved that up on soybeans a little bit. Um, and and I, I say that just because that, that does provide a little bit of protection. It helps us think through, you know, what is the the frost risk? Because that's really what that, that is set for, right? Um, and so if, if we're kind of paying attention to that, those are the guidelines I go by. I know there are some people that do kind of push the, push the boundaries a little bit. Um, but by and large, you know, if they're pushing the boundaries, um, what they're really trying to do is see, you know, what are the implications of doing things like that? How, how are things going to work if we get into a system like that, right? Um, yeah. So we're just not seeing it on a large number of acres. Yeah, that crop insurance date has kind of always been a cutoff for us. But the other thing is soils that are fit. Uh, I just see too many guys going out there where, well, you know, about 80% of the field looks good and there's about 20% that's too wet. And I just think, why would you want to make a mess on the early side? That That soil being fit is one of the big cutoffs for me. Yeah, no, I would agree with you completely. Um, you know, for years, people always ask, so what's the ideal planting date? Well, there isn't one, right? It's all a matter of is the soil dry enough to get in and is it warm enough, right? Because we want that seed to, to imbibe water and start to germinating and emerge really quickly. And so if we push our, our planting too early, more than likely it's going to be a little bit on the wet side and it's going to be a little bit on the cold side. And so that's going to um, potentially hurt germination rates um, you know, and then just affect our overall plant populations. Yeah, one of the, and, and I agree with you 100%, we, we just want to be really careful about that because you only get one chance to plant. It's not like you can just go and uh, take any seed that didn't come and pop another seed in right next to it later on. It, it just doesn't work like well, that. But if, but if you plant too early, then you get two chances because then it might cross <laughs> and then you'll have another chance. That, that's all we need, Mark, is double the work to do in the spring and double the expense. Well, and, and in some cases, it may not be double the expense. You may get free seed on a replant or something like that. But still, yeah, no, you don't. nobody wants to do that. But here's the tough thing, Mark. No. We've got guys now that want to plant soybeans early. And I've, I've talked to a lot of farmers in Iowa that say, man, it's really been helping if I can plant those soybeans a week sooner. But if we have anything that delays corn planting and they don't get that done by, say, the 25th of April. Now we've got guys asking the question, man, it's the 25th of April. Should I finish planting corn or should I start planting soybeans? Is there any kind of guideline there as to when you may choose soybeans over corn? You know, so my rule of thumb that I use is, you know, basically, can you get corn planted, you know, by the end of April and soybeans planted by the middle of May um, timeframe, right? If you can do that, then, you know, you have this this time period that you can play around with a little bit, right? So if you have a, a really good spring, you might plant, 
you know, a mix of your corn and acre, soybean acres, you know, kind of alternating pattern to, to help spread some environmental risks throughout the growing season, uh, maybe even um, widen out your harvest windows, things like that. But if you're going to end up planting anything late, you're better off to plant soybeans late because soybeans, um, they're a little bit more forgiving just with a yield penalty after, you know, middle part of May. Um, corn after the middle part of May really drops off quickly. And so that's that's the most important one to get planted. Um, but you know, again, if you're if you're large enough, you have multiple planters. You know, there's a the whole number of dynamics that have to come into play there. But it's really a key of you know your, our ultimate goal is to get them both planted very very timely. But if we have to end up planting anything late, it, it ought to be the soybeans. You know, there are a lot of challenges to to both of these crops, and and I feel like, Mark, in in our lifetime, it's gotten tougher. Now we've got tar spot to worry about. Now we've got sudden death syndrome in soybeans. Now uh, we've got nematodes in soybeans that really aren't responding to that nematode trait we've used for years and years, and, and we may have to switch things up there. We've got resistant weeds. There are just a lot of things going on. Does early planting help us solve any of those? If if we get out in front of things, does it make it easier to manage later on? Uh, it, it actually could, you know, in, in some thoughts, it could actually make things a little bit worse, right? Um, so, uh, so, you know, sudden death syndrome on soybeans, right? It it infects the root, you know, in that um, early growing season, uh, seedling stages, right? And so if we're potentially a little bit on the cooler, wetter side, um, then that could create, you know, a, a, a nice disease environment for sudden death syndrome. Um, you know, so I think, you know, we just have to kind of think through it and say, okay, so what are our major diseases? When do those come into play? Um, I, You know, whether you plant early or late, I generally say that, you know, if you're going to plant early, it's probably more important to make sure that that canopy stays active and, and receptive to sunlight uh, for as long as you can, right? Because that's, that's your benefit of planting early is that you're expanding out, extending out the growing season. Um, so, you know, just, just kind of thinking through that, you know, it, it's going to be imperative that we, you know, just stay out there um, vigilant in scouting, you know, checking for the insects, checking for the diseases. And then obviously making sure that we don't have weeds uh, that are causing us problems. Yeah, there are just so many things to think about. It's not a super easy decision yet. When we talk to farm operations that are multi-generation operations, one of those decisions that gets made by some of the younger people on the farm is, well, what seed am I going to plant? And and those kinds of basic decisions. And we see the big dollar decisions getting held by the older generation. The Are we going to buy that next piece of land? Are we going to spend a half a million dollars on a different combine? Those kinds of things. And so we've got young folks who, let's, let's face it, are generally a little more aggressive. They want to get going on some of this seed early. But you're right. There, there are just a lot of things you got to that, um, take into account here so we make the best decision. Yeah, um, I, I would agree with you completely, but I, I do like these multi-generation farms because, you know, the, the older generation can maybe put the brakes on some fast decisions <laughs> that get made, but the yep. younger generation, they, they really want to learn, right? They, they want to explore, they want to figure out what's going to work and, and bring things to the next level. So, uh, yeah, just working with multi-generation farms is really kind of fun um, just because they, they do have that dynamics and, and it's a fun thing to look at. 
Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Plus, plus, it's kind of cool too when you can talk to your parents or grandparents, and they can talk to you about, well, this year back in the '60s felt a lot like this, and here's what we did, and it really helped us out, and those kinds of things. You never know when when some of that uh, that experience is going to come into play and, and help you out to make a better decision now. Now we're talking with Mark Licht with Iowa State University in a state where certainly farmers like to push the envelope on early planting. Mark, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about what's what goes into that decision. Yeah, glad to be with you. You bet. We are talking about how early is too early to plant, and it's certainly going to vary depending on where you're at and, and what some of those risks are. Mark talked about the risk of frost, and this happens, uh, for, for those of you in the south, maybe you don't have that very often, but uh, in the north, that, that is a real common thing, and it's something where, I know like for our own farm, we've got some lower river bottom ground that uh, I'm always excited about. Hey, the ground is fit down there. And actually, Brian has to put the brakes on a little bit. He's like, hold on. We still got some frost risk down there. Let's let's plant the high ground first. So there, there are just some unique factors that you have to take into account when you're thinking about planting early. We'll talk more about that coming up right after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro. The future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Craver back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer amaranth, kochia, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5UC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Coming. The weeds are coming! Hey! Paul Revere! This whole midnight ride thing is getting really- But the HPPD resistant weeds are coming! We've got Verdict Herbicide! Verdict Herbicide? Yeah! It's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then. Get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The weeds are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. 
They'll hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today, talking about how early is too early to plant. And it gets to be a great debate. If you would like to engage in this conversation, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And got a little feedback. Oh, yeah, sure. Talk to Mark Licht down in Iowa. How about guys a little further north? All right. We'll head a little further north with our next guest. Got Mike Staten on right now with Michigan State University. How you doing, Mike? Good, Darren. How about you? Well, pretty good. It's all fun and games when you're in the south, and it rarely, if ever, freezes. But when you come north, we know we're going to have frozen soil to start the year. So I can tell you what too early to plant is. It's when the ground is still frozen. But as soon as that ground is not frozen... Uh, then the guys in the north really start getting that itch and want to get rolling. So what's the guideline you use up in Michigan, Mike? Yeah, Darren, I mean, real good question. We kind of separate things out pretty closely to what uh, crop insurance uh, does. So I would say right around April 20th in Michigan is, is anything after April 20th is pretty much fair game. Once we get good soil conditions and, and that, anything prior to that is a little bit riskier. Yeah, we look at that crop insurance date, too, and ours is, is a week or 10 days ahead of that. So we might, uh, I don't know, it's it's pretty rare, but we might get started as early as April 10th if the soils are all fit. But that's one of the tricky things. If we've got snow melting, uh, it doesn't seem like the ground just is ready to go after that snow melt. seems like we almost need a, a week of dry weather and sun or maybe even a light rain to kind of cure things up here. Yeah, that's always beneficial. Matter of fact, uh, uh, Ontario did a greenhouse study that was kind of interesting, and and it showed that uh, really it's that first uh, temperatures when the seed is first planted that really makes the big difference. You commonly read, Darren, that it's, uh, oh, you know, anywhere from 24 to 48 hours is the critical time. Well, this greenhouse study really showed that it was first 8 to 10 hours uh, is the critical time. If you get warm reasonably warm weather for that first eight to 10 hours of that seed's life in the soil, that can make a really big difference in the survivability of that and, and your stand. Well, I'm sure glad we're, we're getting longer day length every day as we head towards spring here because that sun makes a huge amount of difference. I was amazed uh, last year we were tracking how many days our soil temp varied by 20 degrees or more and we've got a weather station on our farm and it was just kind of amazing when we had a, a day with no clouds and all sun oh my goodness that soil warmed up fast but then we'd have days that were cloudy and we just didn't get that kind of warm-up so i think having some more sunlight is not a bad thing at all it really isn't and the other thing i think that's really conducive to uh well let's let's finish with the sunlight issue i guess the only times i've ever seen frost-damaged soybeans or freeze-damaged soybeans in the spring. It's pretty rare in, in my career. I've only seen it twice, really. That, well, let me add maybe two more fields. So four times out of 30-some years. And, and when I've seen it, it's been in no-till conditions. So what happens is that residue, the corn residue, reflects the sun energy, 
from the soil and doesn't let it warm up in the spring, like you're saying. But then it also has a double-edged sword at nighttime. It prevents any sun, you know, any warmth from the soil from radiating out of the soil and protecting those plants. So it, no-till kind of can lead to uh, lead to more frost-freeze damage than than, a, than tilled ground. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, too, as, as cover crops uh, gain some steam in, in certain areas. It's going to change things just a little bit for growers in terms of management and, and perhaps how early is too early to plant. It really is, Darren. Let me add one more thing on to that. that we actually saw seed corn maggot damage in Michigan in 2021, pretty severe. And uh, so, and it was in fields that did have uh, grass type cover crops that were worked into the soil and they just coincided just perfectly with uh, uh, the adult fly emergence and egg laying. And we did, we had significant uh, replanting due to seed corn maggot. And actually, Chris DeFonso, our entomologist, says you will not get seed corn maggot in no-till conditions. It's all related to tilling that, that green tissue under and uh, or freshly killed tissue, whether it's weeds or plants, uh, uh, cover crops. And that's what entices that, that rotting uh, plant material is what entices the maggots to lay their eggs. Interesting. That's a that's a nice tip. I know that is one of the bugs that, that we always talk about and think about as, well, that's a potential one that could cause us some problems. And generally with seed treatment, we're, we're putting insecticide in the seed treatment, both on corn and on soybeans and also on any small grains that we put out there. And that's, well, that's just one of them. Wireworms are another one that we see pretty much every year here. Seed treatments, there was some Ohio State work done, and I'd have to look for this a little bit, Darren, but they have kind of a, they're not the strongest tool for managing seed corn maggot and soybeans. Um, I visited some fields that were overcome and had uh, had uh, gaucho applied to them. Um, so it, they, they like any other product, they're going to vary in their efficacy, but as a general rule, um, they're not your first line of defense for seed corn maggot. You uh. really need to use planting timing, um, you need to, uh, um, yeah, usually Chris says, you know, wait two weeks after you incorporate any residue into the soil. If you there wait you two weeks, you should be safe. Yeah, I like that. That's a good rule of thumb. And, yeah. and uh, it's yeah. it's interesting, too, that some of the uh, ag chem products might be overselling what they're actually going to accomplish out there. You know, you think about it, if you're talking about a foliar spray on some weeds, you can see, did, did we kill the weed or not? But on some of these seed treatments, do you really know? Have you been digging out there and have you been looking? If you haven't had to replant, you probably haven't noticed, but uh, good good tip there on the seed corn maggot. I like that. Okay, so so planting early, I know a lot of focus ends up being on corn, but how, you mentioned the soybeans, that you just haven't seen much frost damage, and I would say a lot of our listeners would agree with you on that, and, and guys have been experimenting. Well, let's try putting one field of beans in about the same time we're planting corn and just see what happens, and more times than not, guys have been pretty happy with that. Do you see anything changing on the soybean recommendations? No, and actually, I think there's value to that. Actually, I think that, you mean, I mean, yes, we are moving earlier and earlier in our planting dates for soybeans. And, and I think, yes, I think there's actually growers that prefer to plant soybeans first. Um, and I think one of the reasons that they do that is because soybean stands can be so much more variable and still produce really good yields. Uh, and where corn, you need those plants to come up, you know, very uniformly, very timely w among each other, or you'll get barren plants or they'll act as weeds. And that doesn't happen with soybeans. Um, they, they will all be productive plants. It's just a question of degree. 
And uh, so we can get by, Darren. We've got a lot of planting date, uh, planting rate studies, and we have shown really good stands with, uh, you know, 60,000 plants per acre at harvest time. Wow. Well, yeah, you're right. Soybeans definitely can bush out and fill in. And, you know, weed control is one of the things I've had several guys tell me, okay, I think I can get some more yield, but I just want to do anything I can to try and get that canopy to happen a little sooner. So I don't have those, those flushes of weeds that come after my herbicide wears off. And there's definitely value to that. No question about that would be the downside. But I will say that we've been doing planting rate studies, and we dropped as low as 80,000 was our lowest rate. That's the lowest we could get growers to go. And our highest was 160,000. And uh, and, uh, we have really shown that the actually the 80,000 over all of our trials, 67 trials, was more profitable than dropping 160,000 when you average them all together. It is really interesting. It really is. So... Um, but yeah, weed control. But what I was going to say, I wanted to tag on to what you were saying. We at, we didn't actually do weed counts, but we did ask our producers and we visited the fields. You know, did you notice any intense or any difference in your weed pressure in those lower uh, planting rates? And in a couple instances, we did get a yes. But for the most part, uh, with the tools that we've had and everything, and these are good managers, of course, our cooperators. But uh, um, no, uh, the weed control has not been a serious problem. It has the potential of, of being a problem in, in thinner stands, but um, yeah, we, we did not see it in our in our planting rate trials. One of the fun things working with good farmers is they're pretty curious people, and they like trying things. What if I vary this a little bit? What if I vary that? You mentioned planting rate here, and we're, we're talking about planting date as well, and how early is too early to plant? Uh, it seems like that soybean date is certainly moving up, and like you say, with corn, uh, I think you got a great guideline there, the crop insurance date. Why try to outsmart those insurance companies that have seen, <laughs> seen the results on all of our fields over the years? We're talking with Mike State here with Michigan State. Mike, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Good to talk with you, Darren. Thank you. You bet. We'll continue that discussion on planting dates coming up right after this. Get more durability, less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Morton buildings are made to last for generations. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, we are committed to quality. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. What can we do for you? Yeah, I'm looking for some nitrogen. All right, we're running low and it's awful pricey, but uh, let me check. Hold. The answer to low supply and high prices for nitrogen is Invita, a microbe with systemic nitrogen fixation. Invita works throughout the foliage and roots, providing a right place, right time source of nitrogen to maximize yield in corn, wheat, and soybeans. Yeah, we're all out, but... You know what? I'll take some of that Invita. <laughs> That's what I was going to recommend. Book your Invita while supplies last. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. Weed field heaven! Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I. Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! 
Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post-application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy-duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Think ahead to planting. Schedule your planter inspection with the experts at CNB. Make sure your equipment is in top shape and ready for the field this spring. CNB is your local John Deere dealer offering expert service and customer commitment. Learn more or schedule your appointment online today at DeerEquipment.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at farmshopmfg.com. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excaldia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We've been talking about how early is too early to plant, and I don't know if we've gotten that decision made for your farm because you may have some different factors we haven't talked about. If you'd like to discuss any of that, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And I love talking to folks who are even further north than we are on our farm to take advice from them because guess what? They've got even a little bit more cold to deal with and uh, even longer winter. Oh, this has been quite the winter this year. Now I've got Claire Keen with us right now at NDSU. Claire, how are you doing? Hi there. Good afternoon. Doing all right. Oh, yeah. For those of you in the South, NDSU means North Dakota State. Yes, there is a North Dakota as well, in addition to a South Dakota. I don't know if you ever get that, Claire. Uh, some people say, well, wait, you're from Dakota? I'm like, no, that got separated like a long, long time ago. There's a North Dakota and a South Dakota. And North Dakota is even a little bit colder, and yet growers still want to get out there as early as they possibly can. What's kind of the drop-dead, uh, here's here's the earliest you can go in North Dakota and plant corn and plant soybeans? Sure. Well, I'd say um, it does depend on where you are in North Dakota, believe it or not. Um, far south, southeast North Dakota, um, you can get in the field a little bit earlier typically than the northern tier up near Canada. Um, no surprise with that. But, you know, for us, it certainly depends on when is the snow off and when can you get in the field in terms of water, especially in the east. Um, you know, for corn, uh, I I don't think you really want to be in the field um, much before May 1st. That wet last week of April, if you're in the southern part of this state, can work out pretty well if, if things are good. But, you know, if you get a spring like last year with Blizzards in April and a whole lot of rain in May, uh, you might be planting corn early June, which is not ideal. Um, 
but you know we're just so dependent on when the snow is out it's it's hard to say you know and it's a it's an interesting year in north dakota too for for any of our listeners that haven't been through north dakota this winter there's a lot more snow on the south part of the state it seems than to the north but you look at areas like bismarck you look at fargo and you got a lot more snow than minot or uh, grand forks in the north yes yeah, the last round of storm has been um, dropping more in the south than the north. Um, a little unusual in that regard, um, but yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it's it's going to be interesting. I know you know for for sometimes growers would be saying, well, maybe there's a date that I'm going to quit. I'm more worried about not the day that I get started, but how far can I push it? How long can I plant corn? You mentioned that early June date, and I know our listeners in the south are like, we'll just switch to earlier maturities. There aren't many earlier maturities if you're starting out at an 80-day. Uh, you can get down into the 70s, but that's about it on corn. So I, I think there comes a day that you, you can't go too far on corn planting late. But on soybeans, of course, you get a little wider window. Sure. Yeah, and you're right on that. Um, with corn, I mean, obviously crop insurance, uh, what your cutoff is, um, plays a role in that. But, yeah, for us, I mean, going mid-June um, is later than ideal but it can still work um, but after june 20th uh really even the southern part of the state unless you're going to cut it for silage wouldn't work and you're right switching to earlier maturities um you know for folks in the southern tier of north dakota we do have uh, people growing 90 95 getting close to 100 day hybrids so they have a little bit of room there but if you're in central and northern north dakota it's, it's harder to get shorter than 80 and 75 day corn so there's really not a lot of um opportunities there to, to switch varieties um, yeah. but that said with corn i mean if you're getting later than june 10 june 15 even um in the northern tier that's that's getting pretty late for corn and we've got a number of, of folks listening today down at commodity classic in orlando and just look at the yield contest winners and look at the yields that growers have gotten in north dakota it's really impressive. There's some fantastic farmers in North Dakota and some really good soils in places in North Dakota, too. Uh, and, and I know that changes things, Claire. Like you mentioned, that south southeast part of South Dakota, or I'm sorry, of North Dakota, growers there are shooting for 200-plus bushel corn, and they're getting it, too. They're, they're fantastic corn growers. Yeah, yeah. Richland County uh, does very well. Um, also, Sergeant Cass, that southeastern corner, uh, we do have good growers, and you know, I actually started my agronomy career out in Williston, so the northwest corner of the state. Um, and I was, yeah, I mean, it's been a learning curve for me coming to Fargo, but people shooting for and getting 200 bushels um, in most years is uh, really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. My dad always had so much respect for he goes, man, as you move further west and further north, you get less moisture, you get more cold, and a shorter growing season, it gets to be a challenge to do things, and uh, fortunately we got some great resources. We're talking to Claire Keene up at North Dakota State University here about how early is too early to plant, and uh, Claire, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yeah, you're welcome. All right, that early planting is is certainly one of the factors uh, in in yield and what you're going to have to deal with for throughout the season. Steve's got a little different question though. He said, "Guys, uh, I've been learning a lot of information lately about the auroras. A good deal of predictions are based on data available to anyone, and I've learned these solar storms they can affect things like radio communications and GPS signals. Just curious on the farming side here. Are, are you guys interested in doing some segments on hazards of uh, these events?" 
these solar storms and what to do with your GPS equipment and so forth, uh, maybe even when and how to calibrate the GPS units for tractors and drones. Hey, Steve, thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. You know, we try to focus on what we can control. And like you say, there is some science out there to, to perhaps help us on some of those things. We really haven't done much with that, though, so that might be something we need to look into just a little bit more. But uh, really appreciate the the email, and thanks for, for checking out the show, too. Uh, I got this email that came in from Dave out in Oregon. He said, guys, uh, raising some vegetables here in Oregon. We've been limited on water lately. We've had two years of severe drought, so we didn't have the water to plant as much area as we wanted. Uh, we also had a big fire that came through our area and decided to do some soil testing, thinking that the ash might have affected the soil. And I found, to my surprise, our pH was still in a pretty good range. Uh, just curious what you guys think about uh, our soil test. We've got some higher areas of P and K and copper, uh, and just curious what you think we should be doing. Hey, thanks, Dave. Really appreciate the the samples. Thanks for raising vegetables too. We really appreciate that. I know, I know, I know. Some people don't like eating the vegetables as much as they should, but I, for one, am very thankful uh, that we've got great production of vegetables in our country. Okay, so looking through your soil test, we've got. As for our listeners, we've got uh, cation exchange capacities right around ten or just a little better. So we've got uh, lighter to medium soils. And looking at what we've got for fertility levels, calcium's in the mid to upper 70s, magnesium's in the uh, 15 range, and base saturation potassium, I'd say on average around 6. Phosphorus levels uh, with these soil tests, uh, pHs right in the low 7s, upper 6s, we're we're right around... 60 or 70 parts per million of phosphorus looks pretty good there. So from a P and K standpoint, it, it looks pretty good here, Dave. I, I think you've got a great shot of raising some really good produce. Uh, then when we look at some of the other things like sulfur, we're really low in sulfur. And this is something that I would definitely look at because sulfur influences the taste of those vegetables a lot. So when you've got more sulfur, a lot of times you end up with sweeter tasting vegetables. So take a look at sulfur, play around with those rates a little bit on sulfur. I would definitely be putting more of that out. As far as your micros go, um, your zinc level is pretty good. Uh, your copper level, you, you say is high, and I, I think you're pretty much right in line on that copper, to be honest with you. I think you need to be high when you've got higher P and K levels. We, we think the ratio of copper to phosphorus is somewhere in the 30 to 1 range from what we've seen from yield data on our farm. Uh, might be slightly different for what you're doing, uh, but I, th- I think you're pretty close to that 30 to 1 ratio. I like it. On your boron levels, they're all at least 0.8 parts per million, which is good. Uh, we like to be just a little bit higher. I don't know how much more you can hold in your soils with 2 or 3% organic matter and only a 10 CEC, but uh, you might, on a couple of those fields that are lower, you might push that boron just a little bit higher. And then the ones that I'm looking at too, I don't really trust the manganese um, numbers on DTPA testing, but yours are pretty good. So I, I think they're good. The one that I might look at would be iron. So on the micros, maybe a little more iron, maybe a little bit of boron in a couple spots, but sulfur could be a big player for you, helping your production. <coughs> oh, thanks for the question, Dave. We really appreciate that. Well, always fun having the discussion about how early is too early to plant on our farm. 
as I mentioned before, we're looking at the crop insurance dates, and that that is just such a big deal when you get a crop worth this much. And then we're looking at how fit the soil is. Those are our two big factors determining how early we're going to plant on our farm. Well, thanks for listening to our show today, and be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.